Welcome back to the ATP podcast. I'm Seb Lozier and this week I am in Halle, Germany. Gone is the red clay and the dirty socks. We now have the green, green grass court swing, which has already got underway at the 250 level, but this week goes up a notch with two 500s. One here in Halle, famous of course for being Roger Federer's favourite place to put the finishing touches on his Wimbledon preparation for all those years. Ten times he won the title here. And also there is action at the famous Queen's Club in London, where Andy Murray will continue his fine run of form. And the former Queen's and Wimbledon champion was among the familiar faces and voices when ATP Uncovered's Kate Florey asked the players to predict what they think will happen over the next few weeks. Messrs Murray, Fritz and Tierfo coming up. But first, the defending champion here in Halle, Hubi Hercatch. Okay, so we are just going to start with some quick grass court predictions. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of the grass court season? Diving. Oh, it's a diving winner! Do you enjoy diving on the grass, Hubie? I do, I love it. Wimbledon. Happiness. Why happiness? You know, I don't mind playing on clay, but I love playing on the hard grass. And um, a lot of times I can't wait for the clay court season to be over. <laughs> what is one bold prediction that you would make for the grass court season this year? I don't know what, what, what's considered a bold prediction. Uh, there's going to be a couple of surprises. Might you be one of those surprises, Hubie? Well, I hope so, but uh, yeah, we'll see. This is a ticket to the party. That's brilliant tennis. I think Ben Shelton. I think Ben Shelton will have a good grass court season. Oh, no way! Unbelievable. We'll make a deep run at Wimbledon. I think his game will be really well suited to grass with the way he plays and his serve and everything, and uh, very athletic, likes to come forward, so I think he'll do well. Who do you think could be a dark horse? Mm, dark horse. Ben Shelton. Cressy is probably always a threat on grass. He's the champion. Just the basically hitting two first serves and, and then coming in behind it and volleying, like playing like typical grass court tennis, like old grass court tennis, but uh, it's the best for his game and he knows it, so he's extra confident on it as well. Maybe it's a trophy. Serving while he's really aggressive, so I think that's, uh, you know, that's, that's quite good for grass. Successful grass court season. Uh, now back to Djokovic. Oh, Djokovic doing Djokovic things. How good was the anticipation, the defense, the movement? Always kind of the favorite. He moves really well on grass, where I think for some people it's tough to move on grass. You can't like slide on it sometimes. He's always done well. I would say myself, Curios. Uh, always expect the unexpected from Nick Kyrgios. Um, Chilos, if he's healthy, I think on those guys. Who do you think could win their first title on grass this year? Franz Diaba. Maybe Yannick. I'll say center. Mm. 
Game Sinner. Is Alcaraz 1-1? I don't think so. Not on grass, no. I'll go with him. Quick fire predictions. Who's going to win Queens? I'd say Grieger is going to win Queens. I'm playing to France Tiafa. Well, I'm playing the tournament. I feel you like it's really yourself. bad to not say myself. Go for it. I mean, these questions are pretty tough considering <laughs> I'm in all of these tournaments. You can so pick yourself. I can pick myself. You definitely well, can. Well, I, I don't want to do it. Give me some names. I'll pick, let's say, losing finalists. Okay. Let's go with that. Can't say myself then. I'll say Berrettini has won two years in a row. Two trophies in two weeks. And you'll be a losing finalist. Or he'll be no, a losing finalist. <laughs> I'm, hopefully, he'll be a losing finalist, <laughs> yeah. Who's going to win Haller? I'll go for Nick. I'll go Kyrgios. Oh, that is out of this world. Uh, no, I'll go Hercat. Hercatch. Well, I'm going I'm I'm to be there, OK. Felix's game is quite good on grass. He, was, he had some success there. Who will win Wimbledon? I have to say Novak. Well, Novak's the favourite. And you can put yourself in there, Taylor. I want to put myself in it for all of them, but I, I'm going to say Novak. I'll say Novak. He's the champion. <sighs> it's tough to go against Novak. Francis Tiafo runner-up? Francis Tiafo runner-up. There we go. So young American Ben Shelton tipped for good things. Francis Tiafo backing himself to go big. And who knows what Nick Kyrgios can do. Runner-up, of course, last year in Wimbledon. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. On the subject of predictions and with so many new players making their mark already this year, Chris Bowers sat down with Lucy Arl, Mark Woodford and their crystal ball as they cast their minds into the future to name the world's top five in five years' time. Just remind you, the current top five are Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, Rude and Tsitsipas. So Lucy, who would your five be? So I have gone for Alcaraz, Runa, Sinner, Fritz and Corda. Very interesting. OK. Uh, Mark? Gosh, well, I, I think I've got the, the whole messaging wrong. <laughs> um, I'm not necessarily saying they're going to be in the top five, but I think they're, they're going to be five uh, in five years that uh, are certainly going to be, you know, around the mark. But I, I, again, I've gone with, uh, like Lucy, Alcaraz. Uh, Holger Rune, uh, Yannick Sinner, Lorenzo Musetti, and Sarondolo. Very interesting. I'll give you my five. I've gone for Alcaraz, Corda. I was a toss up between him and Ben Shelton, but I thought Corda's probably got uh, more game. Rublev, I think he's the Russian who's going to last, mm -hmm. but I've been wrong about the Russians in the past. Musetti, 
And I'm going to take a flyer that sometime in the next two or three years, Nick Kyrgios is going to have a realisation that he needs to do something and that he's actually going to get his game together and he will be top five in five years' time in his early 30s. How long are you waiting for that to happen? Well, it has to happen <laughs> in the next two or three years or it, will ne- or it never will. I, was, I actually was going to leave one blank because I think there is that unknown that in five years' time there will be someone that, that comes you know, from maybe a, a, a low ranking that perhaps we're just not, you know, at the moment focused on. So um, I almost left one of the positions blank. You've both gone for Sinner and I haven't, partly because I did the Sinner-Altmaier match and I felt it showed up some limitations in Sinner's game. Potentially, but again, five years is a long time, isn't it? It so is. So I think the, the players have got time to, to grow and develop. I mean, I... I mean, are we harsh in terms of not looking at people like Zverev, Medvedev? And I guess the one player that I really was tempted to put in was Draper. There's a temptation, isn't it, that we're not to to, uh, have a look at players. I mean, all of the players that I think we've mentioned are probably under 30 in five years' time, with an exception of Rublev, I think, might be... Rublev will be over 30. In fact, two of mine, because Kyrgios is over 30 as well. And and yet we're in an era right now where it is vogue to actually be playing and to almost hit your your height, your maximum, uh, when you're in your early to mid 30s if not if not later so um i I know i put the ages of my guys uh down and they're they're all under 30 years of age um in five years yeah in five years if you're listening to this and want to do it put your five down put them in an envelope in your um one of your clothes drawers and uh, try and remember it in five years time we'll try and prompt you for that but interesting exercise and and done basically just to keep tabs on on turnover because there seems to be a very rapid turnover at the moment as chris said you can join in and make your predictions for the world's top five in five on twitter just at atp tennis radio and let us know what you think and just for the record lucy then went for Carlos Alcaraz, Holger Rune, Yannick Sinner, Taylor Fritz and Seb Korda as the world's top five in five years. Mark Woodford chose Carlos Alcaraz, Holger Rune, Yannick Sinner, Lorenzo Musetti and Francisco Serundolo. And Chris Bowers opted for Carlos Alcaraz, the clean sweep at number one for the Spaniard, Seb Korda, Andre Rublev at three, Lorenzo Musetti at four and number five, Nick Kyrgios, and for what it's worth, my top five in five, Carlos Alcaraz, Yannick Sinner, Holger Rune, Stefanos Tsitsipas, and at the grand old age of 32, Daniel Medvedev. Next up, we have fantasy tennis as Holger Rune joins Kate Flory. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. We're going to ask you today to build your ideal player, okay? Interesting. Let's go shot by shot. So if you could pick someone's forehand, and you can do past or present, anyone, male or female. Forehand, I would go Fernando Gonzalez. (laughs) 
15-14. It's so big and I feel like on every surface he managed to, to hit it unbelievable and, and I like the swing. It's pretty big, you know, he has a big preparation but it's, it's really effective. Backhand I would go Novak Djokovic. I like it because it's so simple and the way he changed direction, he does it like no other player. So that's pretty impressive. So if I would go Nick Curious, it's a very natural shot for him. Um, I even asked him about it and he said it's very natural. I think it's the best serve on the tour, honestly, because he can hit every spot he's going for and he has this loose technique, so it's very nice. What did you ask him about his serve? I asked him if he practiced it a lot and he said not really, actually. And I know the feeling because even I have some shots that are more natural and you practice them less. What about return of serve? Return, I would go Novak again. You feel like you want to go for more because every time he gets uh, you know, the ball in his string, he puts it in, in your feet. So then he can hit back quickly. Slice, Roger Federer, for sure. It's very relaxed, probably felt like he had it all his own way. It's like a knife, and I practiced with him a couple of times, and uh, it's like an aggressive shot. Some players that just use it to, you know, get back in the rally, but he's, it's just so aggressive. In the game, Roger Federer again, it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit the same. He has amazing touch, and, uh, you know, his volleys is so firm, and touch unbelievable, so. My next one I was going to ask you is general touch. Are you going Roger for that as well? Yeah. Yeah, Roger again, I have to say, I mean, the touch of him is, is a genius. Movement, I would go, I'll go Carlos Alcaraz. Oh, it's tennis of the highest order. Speed. Speed. I'm going to sound better when I say this, but I'm going to say myself. I'm I was sorry, waiting for you to uh, say yourself for something, yeah, Holger. I, say, I think I'm fast. I hope so. from Runa. Such a clever little forehand that he hit in defence there. What about flexibility? I think Novak Djokovic again. His flexibility is amazing. I saw some pictures of him in, uh, in Dubai uh, where they compare him to a crocodile when he's on the backhand. Forehand side actually on a slide and he's all the way in, in, the, in the split so it's, it's impressive. Mental toughness. Mental toughness. Rafael Nadal. In some moments like when it's so tough he comes up with shots that you're like this is so clutch and uh, he did that over and over again so it's pretty impressive. Physical stamina. Daniel Medvedev. Oh. Yeah. Unbelievable scenes. Um, I practice with him a tons of time and he, he needs no rest, so he just keeps going. After rally like 30 rallies over the net, he's just like ready to go. So it's yeah, it's crazy. Competitiveness. Rafa Nadal again, he competes every point, no matter the score, he's just there. And it's something that's super inspiring. I tried to, you know, steal it a little bit from, from, from his game and character because it's, uh, it's very efficient. And I had a couple of matches here in the past where I was down crazy score and, and I was up crazy score. And, and, you know, everything can happen in tennis. Celebration, Cristiano Ronaldo. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, honestly, I like Rogers. You know, it's just very simple, you know. When he wins a point, he either shakes a record or does a, a you know, fist pump. And uh, when he wins a match, it's, it's, it's simple, you know, arms in the air. Yeah, I like it. Is there anything that I haven't listed you would, that you would take? Drop shot. Oh yeah, drop yeah. shot. Drop shot, Novak Djokovic on the backhand. Forehand, Roger. Oh, I was thinking Alcaraz. Yeah, I'll, I'll go Roger. Roger, go Roger okay. Yeah. Point. Some of the best ball striking we've seen from Federer.
on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. While the big grass court tournaments are all still to come in Queen's Haller and, of course, Wimbledon. Some of the players have already been out on the grass of Stuttgart in Germany and Sertogenbosch in the Netherlands, which is where former world number one doubles player Dutchman Wesley Koolhoff and his partner Neil Skupski have been in action. Koolhoff's rise to the top of the world order in doubles has been fascinating to watch and has started to make waves in his native Holland, according to Dutch journalist David Avakian. Doubles isn't broadcast as much, in in fairness, uh, as the singles is. Um, but when he got to number one, it was absolutely mentioned, and uh, he's very well respected by by all the other players as well. He's he's an incredibly important figure in in Davis Cup, of course, <laughs> as well. Um, and yeah, he's been great, and he's been saying that it's quite the challenge this year after last year that all the other doubles teams are kind of they know. They know, like Rude, maybe, how they're playing. And there's all these new tactics he's sensed in matches this year. So it's a challenge to stay there. And the two singles players, right at the top of the game, really, or near the top of the game, Botik van der Zanschulp, you, you can correct me on the pronunciation, <laughs> and also Talon Griekspoor. Yeah. Who's got the bigger upside for you? Who's the better player? Ooh, that's a tough question. Are you allowed to say? I don't want to. Um, <laughs> first of all, it's Botik van de Zandschup. Right. And it's Talon Griekspoor. Right, thank you. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to say it's it's a beautiful sounding uh, name or language, but that's unfortunately the way it is. Um, who is better? I don't know. Um, Come on, give a diplomatic answer. Get, a diplomatic get, answer? They're both better at some, let, one let thing, presumably. Way. Until this season, I was, I was was I would easily say Botik because of the things we've seen him do in the past, things that Talon hadn't quite showed yet. But, I mean, Talon won, won an ATP title before Botic. Uh, Tim van Rijthoven, the other third Dutch player, who's injured, unfortunately, at the moment, also won a title. So Botic, but he's found it difficult to, to close matches and to win titles, as I think people who watched the Munich final again this year uh, saw for themselves. He had all the chances there to claim his first ATP title. Um, yeah, I would still say that maybe Botic has a, a bit more weapons. Um, and now he has a big name new coach, Sven Groenefeld, who is going to try out with. So, I mean, I think people who follow tennis know him. He's worked a lot with WTA players, but, I mean, he's he's one of the best coaches out there. So I'm very, very curious to, to see where that's going to go, the two of them together. Is that diplomatic enough? Or? Absolutely, no? okay. yeah. You've, you've walked <laughs> the fence <laughs> very well. T- tennis in Holland, you yeah. know, just give us an idea. How, how big is tennis in Holland? Tennis is the second sport. So football, obviously, is number one. Um, but in terms of, of members of the, let's say, the, the federation, tennis is number two. And then you have field hockey and all those things, and, and well, cycling, those kind of things. But it's, I think it's, it's been number two, and it's grown during COVID again. And it's been paired with paddle a lot at the moment. Um, I don't know if that's a word I'm allowed to say oh. on here. Um, I, for the first time, I've, I've played my first two games of paddle. I've got to say I'm a convert. Oh, it's boy. I've played a lot, yeah, actually. But I, but I prefer tennis. I like the strings, you know. Yeah. The, the ball on the strings, it's just better than that flat thing. 
So tennis holding its own against upcoming racket sports like paddle and the game in Holland also with the advantage of a rich history of former champions. Among them, the ever-modest Richard Krejcik. I think my dad found tennis for me. That's how I think it started, really. And and thanks for the compliment about the greatest Dutch player. But I won the Grand Slam. I'm the only Dutch player to win the Grand Slam. But I have to say, Tom Ocker, uh, he was ranked high. He was number three. I was number four. And he won many titles, more titles than me in singles and more, way more titles than me in doubles. I was number one doubles player. So uh, let's say I'm one of the, 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 the best tennis players in Holland. But I wouldn't say the best. Okay. okay, that it's, sure. it's 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 good for context, and actually, <laughs> yeah. in in the current environment as well, there are some wonderful wheelchair players. And the number of titles that they are racking up is very impressive too. Yeah, but then I feel really bad about my <laughs> achievement. I have one Grand Slam, and you have Esther Vergeers over 20, and then we have Dieter de Groot now winning 17 of the last 13 in, 13 in a row, but 17 total. So. Yeah, so if I start comparing to that, then I, I have had a, a nice little career and that's it. <laughs> you said your dad got you involved. What age can you remember playing tennis and, and how great was his influence on you as, as, a, as a player? Uh, I started playing when I was like three years old and apparently I started sort of playing when I could crawl because uh, with a wooden soup spoon, uh, I would have a tennis ball on the ground. I would sort of hit it and I would crawl after it. So that was, I guess, my first sort of tennis uh, I was doing. But when I was about three, four years old, I really started playing a lot. My dad loved tennis. He always took me after his work, uh, took me to the tennis courts. And yeah, I loved it. So I was playing against the wall. And then at one stage, my dad thought I could really play well. So I think from about six years old, when he took me to the tennis courts and he was playing with his friends, then and I had enough of hitting against the wall, I want to take a break. Then my dad shouted to the side, I don't hear the wall anymore, I don't hear the wall anymore. So uh, that's, I guess, when the drilling started. So that was already an important step, I guess, into uh, becoming a professional tennis player. There's a big smile on your face now. But, uh, but yeah, it I can laugh about it now. I mean, yeah. It sounds like there was a good deal of, of pressure on you. Did he work you quite hard? Uh, it was uh, it was all okay until I was about 10, 11, and then I started playing national championships, and I started to win national championships also out, out of my outside my age group. I think when I was 11, I won national championships under 12. That same uh, year, I won under f- 14, semifinals under 16, um, and also played under 18, but I got killed there. But yeah, as an 11-year-old boy playing with 18-year-olds was a bit tough. But uh, yeah, I played also European championships. Uh, uh, lost a couple of quarterfinals uh, there, um, yeah, and and I think even played like a world championships, organized, uh, became number four there on the 12. So on the 12 was a really good player, but uh, yeah, then slowly it went away from being just fun uh, to, I wouldn't say a job, but uh, yeah, to make a lot of hours on the court. And when you're a teenage boy, that's not easy because you've got teenage friends and they're doing teenage things, right? Yeah, exactly. But it's okay because you have also friends on the tennis courts. But under 12, it's still bearable that you have to... Uh, I was practicing, I don't know, two hours a day, uh, f- six, seven days a week. In the summer, many more hours because then we would play outdoors. And if you're winning, it's okay. But then under 14, slowly, it became less. Uh, and then you enjoy it less, you know, when you start losing a bit more. And on the 16, I was losing a lot of matches. And yeah, then you uh, have to play this tennis. Uh, you have the feeling you have to do all these hours on the court and you don't get the reward. We look at you now and we think of you as a tall, big serving player. But at that age, was that the style of your game? Were you, were you big as a teenager? 
No, I was I was quite small until I was like 15, 16. And, uh, and one of the reasons I was good under 12 and then got actually less under 14 and 16 is because I wouldn't miss. And I hit a lot of moon balls, actually. And uh, yeah, the, the, my goal was not to miss and to out-rally the opponent. And I remember I was playing this other kid one time and we were both hitting moon balls and I could continue playing. And then the crowd or the crowd, uh, 12 people, it got a bit bored in a way, and I started counting, and we had rallies of over 200 uh, shots. 200? Yeah, exactly. Well, we, we were moonballing to each other, so there was zero risk. And then even that kid, uh, I broke him mentally. <laughs> so even he who didn't want to miss, uh, came to the net, and then, of course, he was a small kid, so I passed him, but he couldn't take it. And then I knew I, I beat him mentally, but... Um, yeah, uh, it, it, until I started to grow. So, yeah, that's nice on the 12, but on the 14, kids start to hit harder. And if you're still just hitting the ball back and hitting moon balls, you, you, you're going to lose, and especially on the 16. But then when I was about 16, suddenly I, I grew a lot in like a year and a half. I, I grew up uh, like uh, 17, 18 centimeters, uh, which gave me physical problems, but also suddenly a different perspective to my tennis and to the court. And, and that's when my surf started to develop and surf became a weapon. And... Yeah, I changed my whole game. That is a huge change to undergo. Who was most responsible for that change? I mean, ultimately, it's you, of course. Yeah, it was me, and 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 uh, not on purpose. Uh, one of my private coaches uh, I had at that time. Um, well, I had only one private coach, but the private coach at the time, he thought my double-handed backhand, which was true in a way, that wasn't good, and he, uh, that I should change to single-handed backhand. It was in the time that Pete Sampras uh, became a bit famous, and he also went from double-handed to single-handed. And so we started practicing the single-handed backhand. It was at the beginning of a professional career, and... Yeah, so uh, no matter how much I practice, I had blisters on my hand and on against the ball machine. It just wasn't that great a shot. I didn't make a big improvement actually in my game, uh, but what it did do, it was so vulnerable uh, that people were attacking my my backhand, and I thought, um, okay, this is, uh, I can't pass. Really good. So the only way to avoid somebody coming to the net on my backhand is if I beat them to it. And that's when I actually became a certain volley player. Me, Mr. Safe, who wants to hit only moon balls, doesn't want to miss a shot, afraid to, uh, to, to, yeah, to miss, uh, to give a free point away. Became a certain volley player, chip charge. And, yeah, and I think uh, probably uh, the biggest, most important thing in my, in my game ever to happen is that I went to one-handed backhand. Not because the one-handed backhand was great, but it, because it changed my game, I became a certain volley player. And I think that's what, uh, why I had such a decent career. Richard Connolly there with Richard Krychek. And we'll hear more on that career next week when he also talks about his matchups against the great Pete Sampras and, of course, that Wimbledon title. If the Dutch have had their big moments in both singles and doubles, the same can be said for the Poles. Igus Fiantek recently claimed her third Roland Garros title and in the men's, Hubi Herkac is a Masters champion and defending the title here in Halle. So how big can tennis get in Poland? Candy Reid asked the coach of Jan Zielinski, Marius Frustenberg. I think uh, it's the best tennis moment in Polish history. Uh, obviously, uh, we had Iga Świątek and then Magdalinet, uh, who, uh, who she's on fire right now. So, but then we have a Hurkacz. 
uh, Kamil Majszak, who is banned right now, but uh, we still uh, wait for. Uh, there are big good news about him coming up soon, and uh, and uh, no, yeah, and the new generation is coming up. Janek, uh, Lukas Kubot, he's uh, he's in the in the edge of his career, but he really helps uh, to the younger generation. He really gives tips. Uh, he played few um, Grand Slam finals, so his experience is absolutely, absolutely huge. And, uh, and yeah, there is a group of uh, already retired players, female and males, who are uh, supporting the young players, which is fantastic because we didn't have that. We need to open the doors by ourselves and we didn't know what to do things. Uh, right now, it's so professional right now. Uh, the young players are watching the other players. Uh, they listen to us, mistakes. I, I really, I, I often say, guys, all you, or you believe me and we're going to jump 10 years ahead or you will get to this point where, when I got and, and you will lose 10 years. So, so that's, that's the, how it works. As you talked about how strong Polish tennis is right now, are you seeing it from the grassroots with all the success that Polish players are having, there's more and more youngsters coming up and doing well. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I wasn't realized until now how it's important that the, that they are already like great players, so the young players can watch them. And uh, I remember when uh, in Poland around what tw 20 years ago, when my friend won a one round in future tournament, so it's the lowest rank possible tournament. Uh, and it was huge in newspapers. They, they, they put a big article about the guy. Uh, I mean, ab about one winning uh, one match in future tournaments. Right now we have a number one in the world women's tennis. We have a top 10 player. We have a doubles players. I mean, this is something uh, very nice. So the young players uh, don't want any more uh, winning future, uh, doing well in challenges. They want, uh, they want all of it. And it's, I think it's the key... Uh, to uh, to be you know to, to push the things forward. I mean uh, to have the role models uh, as well as on female side and male side. Yeah, I think sometimes we talk about the grassroots working up, but I think often success for a country comes from the top down. Whereas if you have a very very good player, that just influences and motivates so many youngsters. And do you have the resources in Poland to help the young people make make it all the way? Yes, I, we, we are getting a lot of support from uh, from uh, government recently. Uh, last year, I must say, to, to, I hope it's gonna it's gonna stay the same this year. Uh, we have, um, for example, BNP Paribas Bank is uh, supporting as well. They uh, they uh, they they put uh, some money to the to the younger players, and I'm 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 helping with that. Uh, so uh, yes, I'm, I think I think. Like overall, the uh, the nation is getting richer a little bit. So it's much. There are more people playing tennis. The tennis is not so elite sport as it was before. Now you can share the coach. Now you can buy an indoor hour to play. Before, if you have like two indoors, three indoors, all the country, it was difficult. Um, but it's still very difficult. Why? Because Polish nation. Uh, I'm I'm not saying it's a problem, but uh, uh, for tennis it is. I mean, very religious. So. Uh, the 
educa education is very important as well. It's a good thing, but it stops a lot of players from from spend uh, a lot of time on the court. Mm. Uh, and um, yeah, that's it. I mean, it's uh, we still need a lot of tournaments, for example, in Poland. We have one WTA, uh, like two, three challengers, so it's not enough. And uh, and uh, still the soccer, unfortunately, is <laughs> sport national sport number one, which is which uh, consumes everyone's time and money. Uh, and but we are fighting on it. We are fighting. I think uh, a lot of a lot of things changes after uh, Agar Advanska started to uh, to to play well. Uh, then we have a Jerzy Janowicz, which was iconic player until now he is. Uh, so so then the new generation comes up, and then right now Iga and Hubert Hurkacz are here. Uh, so I think we are safe for uh, years to come. Hubi Hurkacz, hungry for success, and his appetite off the court it seems is also pretty healthy. Hi, it's Hubi Hurkacz and this is what I eat. What is your relationship with food like? I eat and <laughs> I mean, I, to be honest, uh, you know, sometimes it's really nice to, you know, go out, have some nice, uh, nice dinner with friends. I really enjoy doing that. Sometimes I just, just eat food to, you know, to, to have some energy to, to, to practice workouts. I don't count calories. I, I do it on the field. I know what my workload is and, uh, and how much I'm practicing. So, so based upon that and, uh, and as well, how am I feeling that day? So then I just uh, I eat more, more or less. So on a typical day, first thing I eat is, uh, is cereal. I really enjoy my cereal. I usually mix up a bunch of cereals. You have different stores in different countries, so it's always different taste a bit. And I'm gonna pour some almond milk on top of it. And uh, maybe a little bit of nuts. Time to have breakfast now and... What do you do in the mornings on a typical day after you have that breakfast? Sleep. <laughs> you go back to sleep? No. Big big naps? <laughs> no, I actually go out practice. I mean, if my physio's there, then I work a little bit with him and then a few minutes to digest the food and uh, yeah, just go from there. I like to eat some some rice with, uh, with veggies. I really, really enjoy that, especially on the tournament because it's Easily digestible, you, you know, then you feel quite light on the course, so, so I prefer to be on the lighter side than, than heavier side. Are you vegan? How would you describe the way you, you consume food? Well, technically not vegan because I eat fish like once in a while. I maybe ate once this year. So I've been on this uh, this diet that I'm currently on for, I would say, a good couple of years, like four or five years. On the tournament, there is there are days when they're a bit longer, so then you just order Uber Eats, so it's quick. And uh, if there's a little bit more time, then I really enjoy some vegan restaurants and uh, really do like that. Or, or also some, some, you know, you can always find the vegan place at, at different restaurants. So, so, you know, to go out with friends is, is really cool and I really love that. Which tournament has the best food and why? Well, I really love the food, uh, food in Miami, so... So actually you have uh, a lot of vegan restaurants and uh, also you have some, some you know, great places like Komodo and uh, really enjoy Miami. Best tip that I ever got about nutrition. <sighs> listen, listen to myself. Eat this way because I feel it's gonna be, be healthier for me. <laughs> Thank you, Kibi. Thank you. 
Best wishes to Hubi Hercatch over the coming weeks, and we've worked him hard this week because we've also asked him and a few others what they love most about the grass. See if you can pick out the voices. What's one thing you always do when you visit London? I eat sticks and sushi a lot. Have a scone. I'm a big scone and clotted cream fan. Go out. Every time. Or like right when you get in, or is it just at some point during the trip? No, not right when I get in, after, after the tournament. <laughs> There's a coffee shop in, in Southfields called Drop Shop. So yeah, it's a pretty good coffee shop. All the time I'm having five guys. Really? Yeah, because we don't have that in Italy or in Monaco. It's gonna be two cheeseburgers, double cheeseburgers, but simple, like cheese and ketchup, barbecue sauce, and three kilos of fries. Which two players are you bringing to sit in the Wimbledon queue with? Okay, uh, I'll bring Tommy, because he's can make like a, any boring situation somewhat entertaining, I feel like. And then I'll take Riley too, and I don't know why I'll take Riley, because he, he's gonna complain the entire time. Yeah, I'd probably take Fed and Nadal. You can ask, just ask, ask them lots of questions about about whatnot, yeah. As you said, they can't go anywhere, it's a good time. It's gonna be two Italians, uh, Lorenzo Sonego, Yannick Sinner. I would say like Roger, but there's zero chance he's standing in the queue. No, but regardless, regardless of if there's a line or not. Maybe like Gael, he'd be fun. Like, I feel like he'd like be a, he'd get like the crowd involved. Probably Nick and uh, yeah, probably Tefa. It's a funny guy. How are you guys gonna pass that time? We'll find ways. We'll find ways. If there's anyone that can find ways, it's probably us too. Uh, who's your dream opponent to play on grass and why? My dad. Oh, wow. I feel like I cannot lose against my dad. <laughs> uh, I guess you got to say Fed on center court, but the results probably wouldn't look great for me. Ooh. Well, I did play Roger on uh, at center at Wimbledon, so for me, it came true. I got my kicked, um, and it was a lot of fun. Was it a dream? It was a bit of a nightmare, but then a dream, and then a nightmare, and then a dream, and then we finished, and I walked back past all of his trophies. And I was like, yeah, this guy knows what he's doing, so. I'd, honestly, I'd love to play Fed. Obviously, not, not from perspective of like, I want to play him on grass because I think that's a good match, but um, I just, I would love to get one more, uh, one more crack at him, especially on grass. Sampras, Borg, and Federer. One's your doubles partner and you're playing against the other two. Who are you picking as your partner? I played doubles with Roger a few times already, so. Um... I'm gonna go with him as my opponent this time and choose Pete Sampras as my doubles partner. I'll probably say play with Pete, as he was, and then play against Roger and Borg. I would play with Fed or Sampras. Borg can be on the other team. Yeah, I'd take Federer against Borg and Sampras, yeah. Did I, hopefully he can do all the work, yeah. I'll play with Pete. I'll play with Pete just because he's like, one of my favorite players ever. Picking Roger all night long. Uh, Why Roger? Because it's Roger. Because I grew up like watching his matches and cheering for him. If you could start a tennis tradition, what would it be and why? What, any tradition? Walkout music. Just adds to the atmosphere, I think. The one fan from the crowd after the match is coming to play a few points with the winner. It's a nice tradition. Yeah, for a kid, I think it would be special. If you could place a new grass court tournament anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? I mean, Poland. Poland, because, uh, you know, we don't have uh, an ATP event, so why not, like, 
let's bring a grass court event there. Maybe indoor grass court. Okay. <laughs> Scotland. Uh, I'd probably say like Manhattan Beach because that's where I live, so I don't have to go anywhere. I mean, in Italy it would be amazing. I think it has to be on the north because in the south center Rome or the south is pretty hot, so it's not going to be easy. Uh, Venice. Wow. Really on the water. Through. That's nice. On the water. <laughs> <laughs> Maui, Hawaii. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, you can go surfing there. Exactly. I would go Australia. I love Australia and I think we've had a pretty rich tradition of history there uh, on grass. So I think probably Melbourne. Who would you want as your doubles partner? Tom Holland as Spider-Man or Robert Pattinson as Batman? I think Spider-Man. I think, you know, like he can shoot and catch the ball. Nice. And then just, you know, just, you know, do whatever he wants to do it. Batman. Holland's way too short. Strength and height. He's not covering much ground, even though he's webs. So how you do the webs? Ooh, tough question. They both have a lot of skills, but even though I love Batman, I think in doubles, Spider-Man is going to be better. It's going to be anywhere. No winners. I'm just going to sit on the bench and look at him, like, catching all the balls. If you win Wimbledon and go to the ball, what song are you requesting they play? <laughs> but, but ACDC in <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that would be great. I think fitting well, like well, the atmosphere. Candy shop by 50 Cent. All right, you're bringing a whole new vibe to the Yeah, world. that's why. Just make it different. Something upbeat, something to get me moving and dancing. I'd probably be a few drinks deep by then, so something to get me going. I want to hear like uh, something by Lil Uzi. Which British actor would you like to play you in a biopic about you. Tom Holland can do it if he wants. Tom Holland could, like, could he play could. me, but like, the, 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 I'm worried about the height. Put Daniel Craig as James Bond, you know. Nice. Pretty cool. Daniel Craig in, as Hubert Hercatch. Yeah, that's, that's not, that's I not bad. Daniel Craig, yeah, Bond. I feel like a bit of a silver fox, Colin Firth, a bit older. Nice. Could be me in about 30. Nice, yeah. kind of like looking back, yeah. kind of like looking back at the life of Tanasi. Exactly, yeah, I feel like, I feel like that's me. Oh, Christian Bale, Christian Bale, Christian Bale, the Batman. Okay. Grandissimo. Nice. Done. Done. You're, you're free. Hubie Hercatch there with Taylor Fritz, Steve Johnson, Tanasi Kokonakis, Dan Evans, Matteo Berrettini, Sasha Zverev, and Jamie Murray. How many? did you get that is it for this week i'll be back next week to look back on all the excitement of haller and queens as wimbledon edges ever closer in the meantime remember you can watch all the action live on tennis tv you can get all the scores draws rankings and orders of play on the atp wta live app and for everything else there is atptour.com i'm seb Lozier. thanks for listening enjoy the tennis <laughs>